0: Thank you very much for tuning into this Bible study. Uh, I want to start out by saying thank you. Uh, thank you for the comments, uh, the subscribes, the likes. Um, when you comment, when you share, when you subscribe, uh it helps the algorithms, right? So YouTube, for example, when you push the like button and when you comment and when you subscribe, it tells the algorithm that YouTube uses that the content is is being watched and it's liked and it ranks it higher so that it can be shared more. The point of these studies is to get God's word out there to help people grow closer in their relationship with God. So by you liking, subscribing, sharing, all of that, totally helps. So I appreciate that. I also want to say thank you to those people who have contributed, uh, financially to help this happen. Uh, starting in January, I am doing this full time. It's my full-time job. I'm very excited about it. I finish up my master's in biblical studies in December. Uh, and very pumped, and I appreciate the support that people have given. If you want to contribute, great. Thank you. Uh, uh, you can do that on our website, ironsheep.org forward slash donate. Um, so today we are covering Genesis 28. We are going through, uh, we started in the Genesis 28 last week. We hit the first uh, nine verses. Uh, and now we're picking it up on 28:10, and we're going to be talking about um, what is known as Jacob's Ladder. Talking all about that, and we're also going to be talking uh, within that. We're going to hit the different subjects that are um, discussed within that, as far as uh, the way Jacob prays. After that happens, we'll be talking about that. Uh, we'll also be hitting on tithing because at the very end of uh, 28. Uh, Jacob mentions it. So I want to talk about that real quick. Then if we have time, we're going to hit the first 14 verses of chapter 29. Lots to cover, uh, lots to go over. So why don't you bow your heads. Let's dedicate this time to God and let's dig into his word. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Please open up our hearts uh, and our ears and speak to us today, Lord, from your word. Uh, Open up your word to me. Speak through me. Uh, Lord, I pray that I will be an instrument approved. Let these be your words. We love you, Lord, and we're excited to learn more about you and your character and what that means for us today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, why don't you join me? And we are going to start on uh, chapter 28, verse 10. Background context, just to remember where we're at. So chapter 27, we saw uh, the scheming and the a uh, breakdown of a dysfunctional family as, uh, Isaac is on his deathbed, so to speak, and wants to give his, uh, patriarchal blessing, his final blessing on his two sons, um, Jacob and Esau, uh, his favorite son is the man's man Esau and Jacob is Rebecca's favorite son. And so Rebecca. Uh, Isaac's wife schemes with Jacob to steal Esau's final blessing. As we talked about the patriarchal blessing, the final blessing from the father um, is a wish that a father gives. It's not uh, a requirement that God follow that. Now God does honor it um, if he chooses to, but it's not like a father's blessing can simply say what he wants to say and God has to follow it. But um, what we do see is Jacob uh, scheme lie to his father multiple times and then steal Esau out of this final blessing. They did believe this affected destiny without question. And you can see that in how Esau responded and how uh, conniving Jacob's mom was to make sure that, that Jacob got that blessing. So then Esau says, I'm going to kill him. I am going to wait till my father dies and then I'm going to kill, uh, my brother. So Jacob is now running for his life uh, from Esau. And that's where we pick it up. So on verse 10, Jacob left 'er Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top, reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Lutz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Okay, let's dig into this okay so let me pull my notes up here make sure we're following okay so the first thing we're going to talk about is um, jacob's ladder and what the essence of this is uh breaking this down so jacob leaves he's fearing for his life uh and he's traveling up to haran he's traveling up to haran specifically because um his mother and his father both requested that he go to uh, the land of their grandfather abraham Uh, and find a wife there rather than finding a local wife in Canaan. And the reason being is is that the Israelites were to be set apart. They didn't want their culture, they didn't want their heritage to intermix with the local um, uh, non-believing people. And so as a result, uh, um, Haran, some 500 miles north, uh, is where they headed to. Bethel is actually around 60 miles from 'er Be'er So we know uh, that that's where he was. He's traveling 60 miles. Uh, They estimate roughly it's a three-day journey or so. Uh, He goes and falls asleep on a very comfortable stone, uh, (laughs) lays his head down, take a nap, go to bed. Excuse me, not take a nap, but go to bed for the night. And he puts his head on a stone. Then he has a dream and what he dreams uh is a stairway now the uh king james has ladder uh the niv has stairway uh and i think a stairway when you look at what this is 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 more appropriate um think about uh all the elements that are part of this right so you have a massive stairway that is going up to heaven with its base on the ground uh and its top up in the heavens and at the top Uh, there are, is God he's over uh, above the whole thing and you have angels that are descending from heaven to earth to go about, uh, their, their, their tasks that God has given them, uh, to be messengers for the Lord. And then you have them coming back up and returning, uh, communicating with God, returning back to heaven. And this is what he envisions historical cultural context, a ziggurat. Now, I'm going to show a picture here. Uh, I used this picture before when we were in uh, Genesis 11. And the reason why we covered ziggurats in Genesis 11 is is that they do believe that uh, the ziggurat was what the Tower of Babel was. The point in um, ancient Near Eastern culture at this time, uh, heathen culture, was the ziggurat was built next to uh, the Temple of the Gods. And the idea was... Uh, It was allowing for the deities, the gods, to come and interact with mankind. And so that's why they built these massive cigarettes. And that's actually uh, the sin of Babel was uh, arrogance and pride in reaching up to heaven, but also in, um, false God worship of, of setting up, um, false idols and worshiping other gods among many things. So visually, this is what I picture is a ziggurat is what he was picturing likely because it was, um, uh, present at the time. It would have been something uh, visually that he would have known. This is not however, for God. To come down to earth this is for the angels to it, it is a a bridge so to speak to uh a stairway that bridges the gap between earth and heaven and that's an important thing to keep in mind so what i want to do is read verses 13 through 14 um to see specifically The words that God says, so in this dream that he's having, God is at the the head, at the top of this stairway going up into heaven, and he speaks down to Jacob, and these are the words that he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust in the earth, and you will spread out to the west and east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is a reaffirmation of the Abrahamic covenant. I feel like we're talking about it every week, but that's because that's what this whole, this massive chunk of Genesis is all about God's covenant with Abraham and with Israel and with the Jews. It's given to Abraham in Genesis 12, reaffirmed in 15 and 17. And then in Genesis 26, 3 through 4, we actually see. uh, God affirm the Abrahamic covenant and its blessing onto Abraham's son, Isaac. And we see here, God now affirm it onto Isaac's son, Jacob, the Abrahamic blessing, the blessing of that covenant that I will make you into great and mighty nation and all peoples will be blessed through you. The ultimate fulfillment of that is obviously Jesus Christ. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. And the whole world has been blessed through Abraham because of Jesus. Genesis 28, 3 through 4, we actually see Isaac pray a blessing on Jacob. Uh, it is the patriarchal blessing, and he is uh, asking God to um, bestow on his son the same blessing uh, that that he received. And that's where we, when you read uh, 28, 3 through 4, Um, we see that verse 13 through 14 is when it is confirmed by God. So the patriarchal blessing, he asks God to affirm it, to give him that same blessing. And then we see God, um, do that in verse 13 and 14. This is a theophany. And we spoke about theophanies, um, when I talked about Sodom and Gomorrah in which, um, God or Jesus, uh, came and spoke to Abraham before they went and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. This is another example of a theophany. Uh, Theophany is just a fancy word for when God interacts with mankind. Uh, Christophany is when Jesus does. Angelophany is when an angel does. Uh, So this is similar to Abraham's theophany that he has in Genesis 15, in which God bestows on him and reaffirms the Abrahamic covenant. Now, verse 15 is specific to Jacob. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Abraham bought the tomb, the the burial tomb with the land, um, and in doing so, when he buried Sarah, he made it clear that, that we are following God's call of staying in the promised land. This is the land God has given to us, and we are setting up our roots here. Historically, what they used to do is uh, you would always take, whenever no matter where you uh, traveled to, you would always go and be buried uh, in the lands of your fathers. Uh, so you'd go back to that. So uh, Abraham would take Sarah back to um, Haran. And then abraham would be buried there and all of his descendants would be buried there and abraham in buying the land made it clear no we're going to stay here then his son isaac uh a plague hits right and and the local thing the the custom to do was to go down to egypt because the nile basin uh the floodplain there was uh was fertile and so there was grain there was uh, sustenance down in egypt and we saw abraham do that and we're actually going to see jacob and his tribe the 12 uh sons all go down to Egypt but God tells Isaac stay in the promised land stay here I will take care of you so we have Jacob's grandfather Abraham is given this land and he makes it clear we're going to stay here. Then his father Isaac uh, uh, stays and is faithful and God blesses him. And so there's this expectation that you need to stay in the land. But Jacob is fleeing for his life. And this is where God is saying, Go, it's okay, go, I will be with you and I will bring you back to this land. Okay, let me just uh, reaffirm this. Oh, It's actually going to be 20 years that Jacob is gone. Uh, His mom is hopeful that it'll be a short stay, just waiting for Esau to calm down. But he ends up being there for 20 years. uh, And Jacob does not return to Bethel until Genesis 35. But we will see him return. Um, What else can we say about this? There are what are called dual fulfillments, right? So the first fulfillment of this, of God saying, I will bring you back to this land, The first fulfillment of that is in genesis 35 when in which jacob does return to uh 'er beersheba specifically to this spot bethel he comes back to this exact spot which god says that he will in the bible you do see prophecies that have dual fulfillments and this is one of them the reason why i say this is a dual fulfillment is is that this could also be applied to israel if you recall genesis 15 verse 13 through 16, when God is speaking to Abraham, he specifically says that you will go uh, into a land that is not your own and you will be there for 400 plus years. That is a prophecy about Israel's captivity in Egypt, that we will see uh, the start of that at the end of Genesis. We will see uh, Jacob take his household down to Egypt and then the the book of Exodus, which is our next book, picks that up. So God prophesies this is going to happen. He tells Abraham the second fulfillment of that, of this prophecy of saying that I will bring you back to this land. In both of these prophecies, in Genesis 15, as well as in this one, God says, I'll bring you back to this land. And a- at the end of Exodus, we do see that. Uh, we do see uh, with Joshua coming back into the promised land, coming back to and fulfilling the second uh, fulfillment of this, the dual fulfillment. Okay. Verses 12 through 13. Uh, before we go on to Jacob's response, I want to talk about, uh, the, what is the stairway to heaven? Jacob's ladder, Jacob's stairway to heaven. It is a picture. It is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, some people, uh, might hear that and be like, what, how on earth do you get that? The reason simply being is because, uh, the Bible says so. So flip with me to, uh, John one, uh, 47 good grief. I've got, these are all the tabs. He says, we're going to be jumping all over the Bible. For those that are driving, uh, I've got like six tabs of all the different spots that we're going to hit uh, as we bounce around talking about this. So leave your finger here uh, in Genesis 28, and we're going to do the first verse, uh, John 1, 47 through 51. John, uh, the book of John, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 47 through 51 actually i'm going to pick it up on 43 for context the next day jesus decided to leave for galilee finding philip he said to him follow me philip like andrew and peter was from the town of bethesda philip uh, found nathaniel and told him we have found the one moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote jesus of nazareth the son of joseph Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathan asked. Come and see, said Philip. So Philip meets Jesus and he goes and he gets uh, Nathaniel and Nathaniel says, okay, I got to meet this guy. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel Uh, declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Verse 50, Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Verse 51, he then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is very similar to the vision that Jacob had of seeing this ladder, this stairway, and the angels ascending and descending. And Jesus here is saying that the angels are uh, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So let's talk about that term, the Son of Man. Uh, I actually want to flip over to Daniel uh, in the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 7. No, no, that's Jeremiah. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. So join me, Daniel 7, 13. God is giving a vision to uh, Daniel. And this is what he says. you can read on before that and after that, uh, in in correlation to this vision that Daniel has, this is talking about the prophesied Messiah, the Jewish Messiah that was prophesied to come was referred here by Daniel as the son of man, Jesus, one of his favorite titles that he called himself was son of man. It's actually used 83 times in the gospel. So when he uses that term, the Jews, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, anybody who was well read in Daniel would have known that Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus is claiming that I am the son of man that Daniel spoke about. Now, this reference that I read in John one that's actually the first mention in the book of John of this term, uh, son of man. We see in Genesis 28, This dream that Jacob has of the stairway bridging between earth and heaven, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our bridge, our stairway that bridges the gap between earth and heaven. And our ability to be able to uh, be in God's presence when we die is because of Jesus Christ and the atoning death that he took in our place on the cross. John 14, six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Okay, continuing on, Uh, verses 16 through 22, Jacob is on fire context. Uh, He is running for his life. He just uh, uh, was lying to his father multiple, multiple times, stole his brother's uh, patriarchal blessing uh, after stealing his inheritance, his birthright, Uh, and his brother is now hunting down to kill him. And then Jacob has this amazing vision, this amazing dream for God. He is on fire. He is blown away by the fact that God would even, uh, speak to him. Uh, and he, his faith is, uh, renewed. He is a new believer. This guy's a brand new, uh, I wouldn't say Christian. He's not a Christian, but he's a brand new believer, uh, in God, God, the father spoken to him. And he's like, wow, this God is real. Uh, verse 19, we see, uh, well, excuse me, let me read verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And then he gives that location, the name Bethel. Bethel means house of God. That's why the context house of God, this is the gate of heaven early the next morning. Uh, Jacob, uh, took the stone he had placed under his head and set up a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel house of God. Then we see, um, Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I missed this in my notes. Uh, Bethel is believed to be the modern town of Betin B E I T I N it's 20 miles north of of Jerusalem. And there are archeological digs, uh, that are going into this. Now the town of Bethel is huge, uh, in the old Testament. We're going to hit on it, uh, multiple, multiple times, uh, in Genesis. It's also referenced in Joshua judges first and first Samuel, as well as first and second Kings all have elements of things that happen in Bethel. Okay. Sorry. Now continuing on, uh, verse 20 through 22, Jacob's vow. This, uh, at first glance, it's like, oh, this is great. Jacob prays this prayer, and he says that he's going to give a tenth. Uh, we'll talk about tithing in a second, but first, I want to I want to camp out on this for a second. This is an example of what I call a vending machine prayer, and the reason why I call this is that I have been guilty in the past, uh, before I was a believer, uh, before I. Uh, submitted to god and became a christian i did believe that god did exist but i had no relationship with him and i was like so many people that check off the box uh when asked uh, do you believe in god i'd say yes are you a christian i'd say yeah sure i'm a christian and my prayers were always vending machine prayers um (laughs) so what i mean by that uh, Lord God, I haven't studied for this test. If you give me an A in this test, I will go to church. Lord, I really want to get this job. Lord, please, please, please. I'm praying fervently. Let me have this job. If I get this job or if I get this raise, then I'll give you more. I'll give you more than 10%. Uh, Lord, please. Uh, I'm putting in the coin. I'm praying to you, please. Uh, I'm hitting the button and this is what I want in return. That's so why I call it a, a vending machine prayer. God is not a cosmic vending machine for us. And so often new believers uh, or people who, who are either new in their faith uh, or on that journey, um, life as a Christian is a journey from seeking all the way to being Christ-centered. And, and not until we die will we achieve that. It is a constant journey that we're all trying to get better at. And so I'm not trying to belittle or say ill of those people who do the vending machine prayers, but that's exactly what Jacob's doing. Uh, Let me break this down for you. So he says, God, if you will be with me, watch over me, give me food, give me clothes to wear and return me safely. If you do these five things, then, then, uh, you will be my God. And two, I will give you a 10th, a tithe uh, of everything that you give me. This is not how God works. This is not, this is upside down, this is backwards. God wants us to put him first at the very, very beginning, submit everything to him, and then he is going to bless us. My caution there is that your definition of blessing and God's definition of blessing are different. Uh, your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. As far as the heavens are from the earth are my thoughts from your thoughts and my ways from your ways. We think that a blessing is having more possession, having more money, but in God's eyes, he may bless us with greater wisdom and understanding and forgiveness, which is way more significant and way more important. And so the the point that I'm getting at here is, is that while we should pray, uh, to God in anything and everything, that is another thing that I want to say. And I know I'm, I'm going off on these little tangents. Don't ever be afraid of praying poorly or praying in the wrong way. I know I'm kind of coming down on Jacob because he prays this sort of, uh, ATM type prayer, um, or vending machine type prayer. Uh, So I don't want you to to think that you should ever be afraid to pray because you might pray improperly or pray wrong. In anything and everything, pray. Uh, If anything is bothering you, pray about it. Communicate with God in anything and everything and don't worry about whether you do it right or wrong. Just talk to God. The tangent that I'm going at here is, is that your motivation, where does your motivation lie? jacob is saying join me on this journey that i'm going on and if you bless me then i will return and bless you and i just uh, i'm pointing out the uh the arrogance and the pride within that prayer now the thing to to remember is a brand new believer he's he's brand new in his faith and you can see that in in the previous chapters in which he lies to his father over and over again uh, and then swindles his brother this is the start of the journey of Jacob becoming more godly. And, and that is what I'm talking about is, is that this life is a journey for us as we slowly ever so slowly and painfully are changed by God. And that comes when we pray, when you pray for a blessing, when you pray for God to give you wisdom, uh, I don't believe that God just suddenly all of a sudden you are blessed with wisdom. Now, God has the capability of doing that. No, I believe that God is going to actually put a hardship in your path. He's going to put a challenge in front of you that through going through that challenge, you're going to receive the blessing that you asked for of wisdom. You want patience. It's a dangerous thing to pray for because when you pray for patience, God will very likely put you in a situation that's going to force you to be patient. But be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged when you are given a hardship, know that God loves you and he's disciplining you to grow you. So in those times when you're in those valleys where you're facing those hardships, rejoice because you know, God loves you and that he is challenging you because he knows you can take it. So be encouraged by that. The the final thing on this little chunk before we talk about tithing that I want to do is I want to actually read Jeremiah. So flip with me to Jeremiah, uh, chapter nine. 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boasts in this that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on earth for in these I delight declares the Lord. I love this verse. Let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth for in this I delight. Okay. Uh, flipping back. Two, uh, whoa, no, not Chronicles. <laughs> we'll hit on that in a second. Uh, Genesis 28. So we're back at Genesis 28, uh, at the bottom, the very last thing that Jacob says at the very end of Genesis 28, he says, uh, if you do all these things and you bless me in all these ways, uh, I will give you a 10th This is one of many verses that talks about tithing. So I want to do a little pause in our, through the Bible study to talk about tithing, because that's what comes up. uh, and when we hit something, I want to talk about it. So verse 22 of chapter 28, we have the word tithing. So let's talk about it. Tithe is an old English word for a 10th, a 10th. It literally means a 10th. and you do see multiple different times in the old Testament in which, uh, tithing is mentioned. It was a Levitical law. Uh, you see it here in Genesis 28, Leviticus 27, 30, uh, is, is, uh, a great verse that shows it being literally in the Levit- Levitical law numbers, eighteen twenty six, and I want to flip to second Chronicles 31, five. So flip, uh, a few books to second Chronicles, second <clears throat> Chronicles 31 starting, um, actually I'm going to pick it up on verse four. 31.4, he ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites, that's specifically in reference to the verses that I just said in Leviticus and Numbers, give a portion due to the priests and Levites so they can devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. At this time, uh, tithe was not simply money, uh, more often than not, it was, uh, grain. It was your first fruits. As we uh, have said here in second Chronicles, it's a 10th of the first of your crops, uh, of everything that you possess. It is giving a 10th of it to God. This is an old Testament law that here's a question. Are we required as christians today to do this are we required to give a tenth of our possession now uh it's not common to give a tenth of your uh grain if you're a farmer you're not going to go take a tenth uh, of your corn and go dump it on the steps of the church Uh, but in modern times what we do is we take a tenth of our wealth of our money of our paycheck and we give it to our churches now again i ask Is this a requirement? No, no, it is not a requirement. And the reason why I say that is that we are no longer under the law. Jesus, uh, at the last supper, when he took the cup and the bread and broke it symbolizing a new covenant. And he specifically says these, those words, this is a new covenant in my blood, in my body broken for you. The work that Jesus did as the spotless Passover lamb was the final atonement that was necessary to pay for all sins forever. And therefore we are no longer obligated to try of our own accord to be good enough. We don't have to, if it was possible to be good enough, then Jesus didn't need to die. So because of that, one of the laws, there were many tithing. We are not Uh, under obligation to do so. And uh, one person who actually uh, watches these, these talks on a weekly basis, uh, emailed me, messaged me and mentioned that their church requires that you submit your W twos at the end of the year. When you submit your taxes to the IRS, their church actually requires that you submit a W two to prove that you are tithing at 10%. And I have huge issue with that huge issue with that. We need to give out of, uh, a choice and out of a thankful heart and never out of an obligation, never out of, well, I have to do this. And any church, uh, that, that requires their members to do so, um, I think is going against scripture. And I strongly now uh, there, there might be some other reason for it. I don't know. Uh, but from what I read in the Bible, it's very clear that we are, uh, to be, cheerful givers that get give out of the abundance. Now I'm going to read two verses and then we'll continue on. But I want to say for myself personally, what I've experienced when you give your first fruits to God, and the Bible actually says, uh, test me on this. When you give out of the abundance of your heart, acknowledging that everything I have is yours, Lord this all is yours. And I'm going to give you the first 10% of everything. 10 is simply a number. It's referenced in the old Testament. You need to decide for yourself as a family, how much you are going to give. Now, what are you supposed to give to the church? What are you supposed to give to ministries such as iron sheep? I believe it's my opinion. And I think it's a good benchmark that we are called to give 10% to the church uh, out of our first fruits. And I personally, what my wife and I do, we have it set up to automatically when every paycheck comes in, uh, I'm not going to say how much, but, but, but a percentage of that paycheck goes into a separate account. And from that 10% goes to our church. And that's what we have decided to do. And in doing that, it is amazing how God will bless you when you give out of what you have, regardless if you have a lot or you have a little, God sees your faithfulness with that and is going to bless you more. Now it's not a guarantee. It's not an absolute, uh, but I do believe that if you honor God with what you have and give it to him, he in turn will give you more than you had before. Okay. So the two verses that I want to hit on are, um, second, uh, Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter nine. So flip uh, into your new Testament, second Corinthians. It's a letter from Paul chapter nine. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Actually, I'm going to read verse six, uh, cause I, I think that it, it gives some good context. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 6, when you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. When you give Abundantly you will receive abundantly, and that is what this is saying. Uh the other other verse that I want to hit on this uh to finish up our, our talk on tithing is in Mark. Mark twelve. Uh Mark twelve forty-one. Mark twelve forty-one. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people. Many rich people, excuse me, many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. To wrap up on tithing, you need to pray about it, but I do believe we are called to give, to give generously, uh, and not to give compulsorily when the offering basket goes by to randomly put in $20. I believe, and I've seen it in my life that when you intentionally set aside the first money that comes in and give it to the church, your church. I do want to make another tangent right here. It is the opinion of iron sheep ministries. I have a board. It's not just me. And it is our opinion. Our, our mission is to help people grow in their relationship with God through studying the word of the Bible, right? Through studying God's word, you got to get involved in a church. We can learn a lot by studying God's word, but the application of doing life, we are called to do that together in fellowship. And that fellowship needs to be in a church, and a church body. And I do not want people to, to, to uh, decrease the amount that they tithe to their church, their home church, in order to be able to give to iron sheep. This is a, an additional gift if you decide that you do want to give. I feel that you should give your first fruits to your church. And if you want to give out of the abundance of your heart to other ministries, great, do that. But our churches, our pastors need our support both financially and in prayer. Okay. Going back to Genesis, I want to actually go into, uh, and read the first 14 verses of Genesis 29. Uh, we're going to talk briefly about this, but this is just setting the stage, right? So uh, join me, Genesis 29, verse one. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the Eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We are from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel's daughter, Rachel, excuse me, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well, and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood okay as we wrap up let's just talk about this uh genesis 29 1 through 14 is actually very similar to the story found in genesis 24 in which abraham sends his head servant uh to laban to haran uh to find a wife for his son isaac It's a very similar story where the servant goes and sees a well, there is a, a large difference though. Uh, one of the big differences that we see is, is that in Genesis 24, um, that head servant prays to God and asks God, may the woman who offers me water to drink and also offers to water all of my camels. May she be the one that you have chosen for my servant, Isaac, for your servant, Isaac, uh, to be his wife. This is what is called a, uh, oracular prayer. O R A C U L A R oracle oracular is the pronunciation of it. It's a fancy term for a prayer that is similar to Gideon putting out a fleece. The idea is it's a prayer in which you say, Lord, I'm going to do this thing. And if you do want me to go down this path, please let this happen. God tells Gideon to build up an army, uh, to defeat the power that is there <clears throat> and Gideon questions God. And so he, he puts out a fleece and, and asks in one instance, uh, let there be dew all the way around it, but no dew on the fleece fleece is just a, a, a piece of uh, sheep cloth, uh, a piece of wool. He puts it out. Uh, and then, uh, God does exactly what he said. And then he still doubts and says, okay, now Lord, let the opposite happen. Uh, with in Genesis 24, it was a similar prayer. Um, if this, then that, and God does honor that. And we do see, um, Rebecca be chosen as Isaac's wife. So now we see a similar situation, but in this situation, uh, we don't see Jacob stop and pray beforehand. We don't see Jacob say, Lord, if please present to me who my wife will be. And if she does this and this and this, let it be her. But you could actually skip over quite quickly that there is a miraculous thing that happens. And what that is, is that, uh, historically wells at this time are not like the wishing wells that you probably picture where it's a beautiful stone circular thing with a wooden structure and a drawstring that you throw the bucket down no wells at this time were simply a hole in the ground that 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 in this instance, there was a massive stone that was covering it and you would roll that massive stone away. And then the well would, would pour out its water to feed all the flocks. The well in Genesis 24 is a little bit similar to more of a traditional where you, uh, uh you dip your, um, uh, you lower down your chalice, so to speak, to fill it up and then bring it up this well, there's a massive rock. But if you notice, if you notice, Jacob says, water, water, Rachel's sheep. And they say, we can't, we can't until all the shepherds are here. And the reason being is this massive stone is super, super heavy. And we need all the shepherds help to lift it so that we can water it. And Jacob, when he sees Rachel, he does a mighty feat of strength and lifts this stone. Either one of two things has happened here. One, god is showing his approval and his blessing on jacob and specifically on rachel to be his wife or two uh jacob just gets so excited that he performs of his own accord this super feat of strength i believe it's the first Um, but we'll see when we go on that jacob is very excited about uh, uh, meeting rachel Uh, for some context i want to read from the expositor's bible commentary on what baker has to say on this uh, page 39. Okay. The description of the size of the rock covering the well and the number of shepherds already on hand hint that Jacob was going to do a mighty deed only when all the shepherds are present, are the men able to lift the rock from the well and water the flocks because the rock was so big when Jacob saw Rachel, however, and the shepherds identified her as the daughter of Laban, he single-handedly removed the rock and watched excuse me, and watered her sheep. Then in a great show of emotion, Jacob kissed Rachel and cried with a loud voice. Clearly Jacob saw in this circumstance, the guiding hand of God. Jacob's physical strength was perhaps meant as further evidence that God was with him and that he had not forsaken his promises. Okay, so as we wrap up, some closing questions to think about. There's two of them that I want to hit on. Two questions to talk about, to think about, uh, discuss with your small group, discuss with your spouse, or just think about as you're driving in your car, whatever. Is God your cosmic vending machine? Where the only time you pray is when you need something or want something. Or... Is God the Lord of your life? And do you submit to him? Do you come to him uh, in, in when you have need, but also uh, when you're sad, when you're happy, for everything, for anything? Do you thank him when something good happens? It's something to think about. Number two, tithing. What is appropriate for you? You need, as the scriptures say, uh, you need to pray about it and make a decision and then give and give generously. Uh, And I do believe that it should be to your church. And if you choose to give to other ministries, great, go ahead. God does not need your money. Let me say that again. God does not need your money. God is able to do the will that he has without your money. Tithing is a discipline that is designed to bless you. It is a discipline all about the giver and not the receiver. Test that. And I do believe God will bless you in that. So that's it for this week. Uh, Next week, we are going to continue on uh, Genesis 29 in which we uh, find that Laban is cut from the same cloth as Jacob. And we're going to see... uh, a surprising occurrence on the wedding night on jacob's uh wedding night um he gets a rude awakening so to speak uh quite literally actually but uh go ahead and read ahead and you'll know exactly what i'm talking about i love you guys uh, be well and i will see you next week as we continue into uh chapter 29 and may even hit into some of chapter 30 as well be well